Hello, and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our culture, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Grio, and this week we're sitting down with Tabitha Jackson, Director of the Sundance Film Festival. This week, we have Tabitha Jackson as our guest on Acting Up, and she is the director of the Sundance Film Festival, a position that's never been held by a woman, let alone a Black woman. The trailblazer who spent six years as the director of the documentary film program at the Sundance Institute, she'll talk to us about a few of the projects that have really piqued her interest and tell us about the tough decision to take the festival fully virtual in light of the Omicron virus. Hi, Tabitha. Thank you so much for joining me today. Gosh, we talked a few weeks ago and we were talking about being so excited to (laughs) see each other in Park City and we are not going. What a bummer. But we are going to the festival though, Courtney, and we're going to see each other on our spaceship, which is the social (laughs) platform. But to your earlier point, yes, it's a bummer. And we were led by the data and the data last Tuesday told us something so worrying that we pivoted away from in-person on Wednesday. So it's, you know, it's pandemic life, it's Omicron, and thank goodness we designed this festival as a hybrid festival. So we already had the online festival up and running and staffed. That was a relief. Yeah, I mean, that is really a blessing because it is late in the game, you know, to have made this decision, but literally all hell. I mean, I talked to you right before Christmas. And since then, just in those few weeks, everything changed again. And I saw initially, you know, you guys were already taking extraordinary measures to try and keep everyone safe in this hybrid festival. And then Omicron hits and you reacted with more protocols and more layers of safety. Yeah. And I just wonder like, what was the nail in the coffin that made you like, you know what? No. <laughs> there were three nails, Courtney. The first nail was, we spoke to Summit County. That's where Park City is. That's where the home of the festival. And we've been speaking to Summit County for a long time over the months with our health safety team. And on Tuesday, they had just received the new data, which showed that the transmission rates in Summit County were just like practically vertical over the last two weeks. That was the first nail. It's like, oh, okay. The second nail was the day that was projected to be the peak day of COVID transmission fell smack in the middle of our festival. So that would be the second nail. And then the third nail was in talking through what the stresses already were on the infrastructure of Park City, essential workers, hospitals, snowplow drivers, all the kinds of things that we would be taking, making use of as well, potentially. There was too much stress on it and we couldn't responsibly, A, either put our community into these conditions at this moment and B, we couldn't do that to our host community. It would have been irresponsible, but it was only when we learned the latest data and those three things all came together. It was like the absolute epicenter of this thing on our opening festival weekend. It's like, nah. I mean, I think you made the right decision. We were really holding out hope. I was, and I think I came back to work like January 3rd and was like, I'm not going, you know, and it like killed me, but I was just like, I'm not going. It didn't feel responsible. And it felt like, God, even if we could jump all these groups and make it safe, it doesn't feel like the right optics, like the right message to send. Like, guys, this is really serious, but we're all going to go party in Park City for a week 
anyway, you know, so I think you made the right call. And I think these points that you brought up are so great. And luckily you guys curated another really fantastic festival by the looks of it. So we still have a ton to look forward to. And Utah's really cold. So <laughs> it feels really cold. And also it's wonderful, but it is really cold. And it's not such a bad thing to have to watch a movie in your slippers rather than your snow boots because your socks will be dry. That's the key thing to bear in mind. Socks will be dry. Yep. Absolutely. I am still ooh, like all riled up over aftershock. Right. You told me I would like, and you know, no, I actually didn't like it that was so terrible to watch and also so important to watch like I hope every single person listening watches this documentary because it's such an urgent subject matter that affects all of us and that is the black maternal health crisis in this country and it really I mean it and it goes so much it's so much broader than the it's a maternal health crisis because of racism Black women are not believed to understand their own bodies. They're not taken seriously. I don't know if you've read that amazing book by Tressie Macmillan Cotton called Thick. Yes. And she talks about her own tragic experience. And this is just, you know, in this documentary, when you meet the people left behind who are literally left carrying the baby, it's just, it's, it's so unacceptable. I mean, I think that's what we, what we hold both as, you know, sentient humans but also as women of color just this anger that this is this is part of a system it's not the unfortunate side effects of a system it is a system that is doing this to women and families and yeah or don't you got me all riled up now no yeah I mean it it is it, it makes you really really angry and at other times very very deeply sad and frustrated because it is it's just such a preventable like it doesn't have to be this way, but then also shocker. One thing that the filmmakers did really well was also trace this back historically, like just every perception representation down to paintings from hundreds of years ago, like the entire representation of childbearing women and childbirth was constructed. And it was so much based on racism and is killing people today and has been killing us for a very long time. And yes, you're looking at these little children going like they deserve their mother and she is not here. And that is just so heartbreaking. It is. And it's one of the things that, you know, films like this, I think we're both, you know, women of the world read the news, but still there's a moment by just dedicating, just like closing down all the rest of the noise and focusing on someone telling you something about the world in this, in this cinematic way. I came out, I I won't ever see the world again in the same way because I know this thing. And it's so powerful. And that's happening, you know, the 82 features. There'll be 82 examples of that. And some will stick with you more than others, depending on your own biography and and how you're meeting this work. But yeah, Aftershock is... Aftershocks, yeah, it should be it should be mandatory viewing, right? Really good. Absolutely. And you guys are so good about picking films that do exactly what you just said, like stick with you. I saw 892, I think yesterday as well. And there are moments that just keep popping into my brain that are just sticking with me. And that's another example of a film that I know is going to make it to a lot more people because it entered this festival. Yes. Yes. And hopefully also because the festival's online and people, it's easier to get to see a film at Sundance in the online iteration, you know, truthfully, than it is on the mountain where you have to maybe get on a shuttle bus or walk up Main Street or talk to a million people on the way. There's a focus on the films and 892, I watched that 
in my own home as well as a submission cut and I could barely breathe it was so I mean we shouldn't give too much away yeah I know it's so hard well the the description the description gives a lot away the two-line description is like there's a guy he doesn't get his veterans check and he walks into a bank and says he has a bomb go so there's your there's your spoilers everyone well and they're not even spoilers they're just like that happens at the beginning but yeah oh my goodness that this is a first time director too and the tension and the performances John Boyega's performance extraordinary sadly Michael K Williams last performance um in this and we you know it again this this loss that we're all experiencing it's there on screen as well as the capacity of cinema to bring people back to us for a for a moment or two but yeah the second he came on the screen I wasn't expecting it I really super try with Sundance movies like duh like by this is why I screen early by by day one of the festival I already know I've already got in my head you know my top 10 list of things to see and who's in them but before the festival like the early early watches I really try and watch cold because I don't want expectations to color my experience. So it wasn't front of mind for me that Michael K. Williams was in this until he popped on the screen. And when he did, it just kind of like my breath just kind of caught for a moment because I realized this is the last time we're going to see him do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. It really is. But it was also kind of a really appropriate kind of project for him to take his final bow in because he was so giving of his time and his talent and his energy to issues that really plague our community and the issues tackled in this film absolutely are ones that plague our community. So um, I think that that was kind of fitting. Um, We won't give too much away to everyone, but I'm talking to Tabitha Jackson. This is like the boss of Sundance. For those of you who don't know, she's not, you know, the assistant boss or one of many bosses like she's running the show up there in park city and this year the festival is pivoting back to fully virtual which they did last year very successfully and there's so many really fantastic projects in store and what i'm wondering for you is especially going into black history month i mean you made some black history yourself in getting to this point in your career so what did that walk look like for you and what is it like to be the first First woman, first black woman. Can I just compliment you first, Courtney, on oh. that smooth as silk segue? You've made some black history yourself. I love it. I really wrestle with this because, you know, I think I have a responsibility as a woman, as a woman of color, as a queer woman of color, as a British queer woman of color. There are all these, all these things that I bring with me as we all do to our work. And there is a responsibility to those parts of ourselves and how they're represented for others as well. So it is important that I, <laughs> that I don't mess it up because this privilege and responsibility has been given to me. For me, it's almost equally as important to immediately put that aside, who I am, just do the work and that's what that's what I should be held accountable to I have all my own blind spots and implicit biases and prejudices that I you know need to be humble about and so these identities and labels are part of my biography but not the entirety of it but the responsibility 
to once I've got through the door to make sure that the door is held open and joyfully opened for other people who look like me or sound like me or maybe not sound like me but who look like me that that's my responsibility to keep the room tidy make some change and and make it a hospitable place for other other women and other women of color yeah I mean I think Sundance it's so interesting because gosh I feel like there was this long period of time where Sundance was at least to me, like the, the, the place, the white people went in the winter, the white people in my business went in January, you know, to like go snowboarding and watch movies. And then a while ago, it just kind of changed. And of course, like their Hollywood landscape has changed. There's more stuff. There's more of us. There are more of us behind the camera. There are more of us writing and producing and being able to greenlight projects. So duh, like that natural shift kind of makes sense. And then there were also, I think some intentional aspects aside from industry trends you've got the black house you know that is a big draw every year for me same with macro lodge you know like there's so much more programming so much more presence and so many of our stories being told at sundance but i do think that just your mere presence there and your presence kind of at the top of that masthead instantly makes it more hospitable you know, like instantly feels like people who we want to see represented are getting a seat at, at the table that counts, you know, at the table that's curating these festivals, not just on the screen, but in every kind of aspect of entertainment. And I think the festival circuit is such an important part of all of this and, and kind of serves as such a gateway to the kinds of projects that we all as consumers get to see. It's really encouraging for me to see you at the helm and to see the way that the festival has progressed over the years. Well, that's so wonderful of you to say, Courtney. And you know that, as we come out of the last question, that's where I feel the responsibility. Like you say something like that to me and and this is helpful and galvanizing. It's like every decision I make you are in my head and I'm thinking, I don't want to let Courtney down or I don't want to let these people down who have taken hope or optimism from whatever they see that I represent. And that that is an appropriate thing to carry. And I know for some people, it can get too much. You know it when you're the only person in the room and decisions are being made in a collective way, but somehow you are the one who owns it when you come out to your own community, what you were saying is right. I think this is a critical mass. There's a critical mass. And I don't think we're there yet with Sundance. We're absolutely working hard to get there. But there's a critical mass. So these things don't have to be remarked upon. It feels comfortable for people to come to Park City and engage in a festival of creativity with many representations and perspectives rather than feeling that there's there's a kind of, of them and us. And I think that is absolutely what happened with macro and with black house who's been there for for so many years and more and more and more kind of affinity houses and that is great and that's a step on the way to i don't know if this is the right expression but a kind of blended festival <laughs> for some reason i just thought of those yogurts yeah. where you have the fruit <laughs> on the bottom or you have the mix the yeah. mixture and and we've got lovely delicious flavors with the fruit on the bottom and i want to get to <laughs> to the, I'm going to continue this metaphor, I want to get to the mixed berry version where it's all in there together. Because we don't, we, the, the, the islands of affinity are really important at a festival, I think, which is by its very nature exhausting. 
but we but we also there must be a shared community around the mission of independent work and freedom of creative expression yeah and that's happening too i think you know 2 years ago when i was there i remember thinking like wow it used to be or used to at least feel like for the events or the discussions um about the films with black leads in them, you had to go to Black House or Macro. But when I was right. there, it was like, no, Sylvie's Love, yeah, they're doing a panel at Macro, but they're also doing one at Audible and they're also doing one at the Hollywood Reporter or Infinity or whatever the other kind of big yes. brand places are. And that didn't used to be the case either. I love going to Sundance and being like, wow, I could choose between five, I have five opportunities to dive into aftershock. Whereas before you, you know, you'd be lucky if you found the one little event that, that was being thrown for it. So it's a place to like see things I would never see and be exposed to art that I would never be exposed to, or maybe just don't think applies to us. And it does. And that's why Sundance really is one of my favorite events of the year. So much fun. And I wondered right now, you know, we of course, like remain in this very tumultuous time in this country. And going into Black History Month this year, what's on my mind is actually how, you know, is Black History Month even American? Like, is this something that they, you know, celebrate all over? And this desire for us to learn our history, which in large parts, the masses start learning about our history through projects, you know, like so many people learned about the Tulsa race massacre that it even happened because they saw an episode of Watchmen, you know, and, and later Lovecraft country. So many amazing documentaries come out of Sundance and reveal truths to people. And you're going like, how, how did you not know that this was happening? And I think that film has such an immense power to teach us our history and so many films that tell us a lot about African-American history actually star British talent like Cynthia Eero and Harriet or David as Martin Luther King and Selma. And I wondered, like, do you think that these films explain or, you know, do they open people's eyes to African-American history in other countries too? Like are people in the UK watching these projects and like that's their introduction to what all has happened here? Yes. And I think partly because I think that's absolutely true. I mean, I remember, I can't remember what year Roots was, but I remember watching it avidly. And the actually more viscerally for me than Roots was Eyes on the Prize. And I, and it was a documentary and I was, I really wasn't very, <laughs> I promise you, I wasn't very old when that came out. Um, but I was old enough to know, I'd old enough to, to have watched a lot of documentaries. There was something that hit me in the gut it was about seeing little children who looked like me being water cannoned as they tried to get into school. And that there was something, I mean, empathy has kind of fallen out of fashion in a way, but it was absolutely an empathetic gut punch that both cemented my love for documentary and also helped me understand a little about the United States. And there was another documentary series that I was loosely involved with called The People's Century. And it was, there was one whole episode which had both uh, apartheid South Africa and civil rights US in the same episode. And the resonances between the two, it was like joining the dots just from proximity. It's like, whoa, we know that was really bad, but it's not as bad as that thing, which we never talk about. So yes, I think that 
particularly in fiction, those stories where we can come to access a history are the first ways we learn it. But I also think that documentary, and I'm thinking particularly of one that, to your earlier point, I just can't shape. There's a documentary called Descendant in this year's festival, which is about the ship Clotilda, which was the last ship to bring slaves to the coast of North America. And it came and it dropped Africans in Mobile, Alabama, and the descendants of those Africans still live there. And this film is about the recovery of the slave ship Clotilda and what it reveals, because the descendants of the people who own the slave ship also live there. And the patterns in history that started there when that ship brought those Africans to, to Mobile continue to this day. But it's unlike any other history of the slave trade or of slavery that I've seen, because we never have these direct links. And it's, it's astonishing. Courtney, if you haven't seen that one, make sure you see Descendant. Gosh, I'm never going to sleep. I'll sleep in February. I guess that's definitely going on my list. I have to watch that. Hopefully our listeners will too. Absolutely. But then I worry about you because because of Aftershock and these weighty, you know, amazingly socially engaged issues yeah. and, and descendants the same. So then you have to offset it with Emergency, which is <laughs> a riotous comedy by Kerry Williams, okay. which doesn't shy away from social issues, but oh my goodness, it's a, such a thrill ride. It's, it's crazy. So watch that. That will, that will you know. Okay. I can't wait to see that. And then there's one more. It's like, I think it's honk for Jesus, save your soul. Jesus. Yeah. Honk for Jesus. Right. Regina Hall, Sterling. I cannot wait to see that one too. Yeah. I was good. You're you're ahead of me. You should be telling me what to watch. (laughs) Everything. (laughs) Lastly, you know what I was going to tell you or ask you about is that um, I was talking to Steve McQueen recently about his last collection of, I don't even know what to call that. It was like, they were, they were doc, they were kind of documentaries, but they were all together. A small, small. Apps? No, no. Oh my gosh. I'm going to send this to you. It is after small and it was around the holidays. So a lot of people missed it, but um, I'm going to find the title, but it was like a collection of four documentaries Two he directed the other ones he executive produced, but they were little snapshots of British black British history. One was about this terrible fire that killed a whole bunch of kids. Right. Hansworth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. See, you know that. And it struck me how little, how few projects we've ever seen here about Black British history. Right, right. I don't know anything. I don't know anything about the experience. And just that little peek that I got through Steve's work made me see instant, you know, huge similarities, you know, in, in the journeys and in the experiences. And it just made me wonder why, why we haven't gotten that yet. We've gotten a lot of U.S. American history told and often told through the brilliance of a British actor. Mm-hmm. But I haven't seen many stories um, about what it's been like over there. And I bet our experiences are more similar than we think. I think so. And and they also have their partic- particularities. And I would say about the British actors who are wonderful, we have had this discussion in the UK about actors needing to move across the pond because it's difficult to find work in Britain for the kind of work that they want to do. So, you know, these things all have social forces at play. And I would also say that in the UK, we're still, uh, and, and this is not a criticism of costume dramas, but we're still hooked on costume dramas and royal sagas and 
there's not that much British history being reflected in fiction and, and high production value fiction, which is why, to go back to Steve McQueen, Small Axe, which was contemporary, relatively contemporary history the last 50 years, years or so, was so important and wonderful to apprehend. And the people who featured in it, you know, they were still alive. It, it wasn't this going way, way back. Yeah. So um, the media landscape around stories involving African-Americans, African-Caribbeans, you know, it, it, it's, it's still a bit of a, 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 an unfinished jigsaw, which means we can't fully see the whole picture. That's right. But we are moving toward it. And part of that we owe to folks such as yourself doing the work in the real world and changing the way that we view cinema and even the kind of cinema that we ever get to see. So I'm so grateful to the work that you do and so grateful to you for being a guest on Acting Up today. Courtney, it's always an incredible pleasure and you and your listeners are doing the work because you're taking this work, translating it into the culture and giving it meaning. So we really appreciate you. Well, thank you so much. It's good to see you. Great to see you too. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to Acting Up. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with everyone you know. Please email all questions, comments, and suggestions to podcasts at thegrio.com. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell. For more with me and Acting Up, check us out on Instagram at actingup.pod.